Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth. I'm an intimacy coach and psychologist. I created this show to explore the erotic alphabet, to help you learn more about desire and expressing your desires, discover ways to spice up your relationship and create that sizzling relationship you've always wanted. I do this through solid science, real life stories and interviews with an exciting variety of sex experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create your ideal sexual life. Make sure you join us to access even more sexual strategies on my blog, A to Z of Sex. Access our monthly newsletter with subscriber-only offers at www.atozofsex.com. That's A-T-O-Z-O-F-S-E-X. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of Sex. I'm Dr. Lori Beth, and I am your host. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. Today's letter is G, and G is for gay. Gay is a term often used to mean a man whose sexual identity is homosexual. The term originated as early as 1637 when in the Oxford English Dictionary, to be gay referred to someone who was addicted to social pleasures. The term evolved through the 1800s when it referred to both female and male prostitutes, and by the time the 1930s arrived, it was beginning to be used in its current usage. Today, I'm joined by Dominic Davies. He's a clinical sexologist and psychotherapist who co-edited the first British textbooks on working with lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender clients. He founded Pink Therapy, the UK's leading independent therapy organization, which also runs a very extensive training program for therapists both at home in the UK and abroad. Hi, Dominic. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Laurie Beth. Nice to be with you. Um, thanks for the invitation to join you. This is an interesting subject. It is. Um, so I wanted to start with a kind of question that I get asked very frequently, which is, do you see being gay as inborn? Oh, well, yeah. I think, I think there is some evidence for genetic and epigenetic uh, um, causation for some people mm -hmm. for their homosexuality. It seems to be different stuff they're finding that, um, that's being cited as reasons why some men are gay uh, to different, uh, and different, different genetic uh, and epigenetic research pointing to why lesbians are lesbian. Mm -hmm. None of this really accounts too well for how bisexuals, who are the most common of the, of the sexual orientations, uh, come, into, come into being. So I think that whilst it might account for some people, some of this research may account for some people in terms of the biology, I think generally speaking, sexuality is a lot more fluid than that. Um, people often change their sexuality as they go through life one way or another and um, it's not really that it's not really that relevant to be looking for what caused it because what's behind what caused it probably well if we can find out what caused it maybe we can do something to alter the gene uh, the gene expression of that and make sure everybody isn't this way and 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 those kind of eugenics would be very worrying yeah. So, so really, then you you see sexuality is quite fluid. So, how do you how do you determine what category people fall into? Well, I'm I'm 
I'm less happy with the word fluid for sexuality. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I'm more comfortable with the word viscous because it's a bit more, it's a bit thicker and flows a lot smoother and slower than Mm -hmm. something that just kind of floods in all directions. Um, People have a predominant orientation towards one gender, both genders, their own gender. It's like, Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a lot of situations where that might change or be more flexible. And certainly amongst young people nowadays, I think it was the Natsol study that showed maybe 40% of young people didn't feel comfortable identifying as either straight or gay. Yeah. So that's a pretty high percentage of young people. Um, and they are, they're emerging into a world, certainly in Britain, that has a, a, the, the best human rights protections, um, probably the best human rights protections in, in, in the world at the moment. Mm-hmm. That may change, but <clears throat> that seems to be, you know, it's it's a it's a good time to be uh, sexually different in in this country, or to be outside of the kind of heteronormative uh, matrix. Um, so I think that uh, I think in addition to that, we also are, are recognizing that there's a lot of heterosexual men, particularly. I'm gonna because if this if this um. If this episode is around gay men, and we'll use gay as, as a specifically for gay men, for gay men then yeah. we need to be also thinking about men and male sexuality. Yep. And uh, there's a lot of straight men who will have gay sex or sex with another man. Mm-hmm. They might have sex with another straight man, but still both identify as straight, but we're just doing this with each other because we're a couple of bros helping each other out. Okay. Or they may be seeking out sex with other gay men, but that doesn't change their their orientation and their identification as straight. Um, sometimes these people might adopt a label of being heteroflexible, mm-hmm. and and, and some, some gay men might occasionally have sex with women and call themselves homoflexible. So there's a bit of there's a bit of movement in that. And of course, there's always been the situation where if you put a bunch of guys together for an, for a, a period of time incarcerated away from the, their sexual object choice preference, so in single-sex prisons, in public school, you know, single-sex schools, those kinds of environments, then there'll be quite a lot of same-sex sexual behavior. But that might not mean that they choose to identify that way, but they, they might behave that way. And so it's so you look at the way that people are presenting their identification as um, as in part a choice that they're making. Their label, mm-hmm. not not their preference. It's a little bit. Yeah. And this is this is the controversial thing, really, because for a long time we've been making the case or there has been a case made in the kind of gay political world of we're born this way we can't change we should have our rights protected and it's fixed and we are who we are but actually life is a lot more fluid than that and it's not as simple as that for many people many people are emerging late into their adulthood after very happily having had a wife kids dated women have satisfactory sex with them, and later they're saying, "Well, actually, that doesn't feel right for me now." They might they might retrospectively rewrite their their lives and their story to say, "Well, it never really felt right, but actually, probably it did feel right at some point for some of them." Right. So there is this kind of 
there is this kind of melting of, of identities now. So when you came to ask me to speak about gay men, I was thinking, my goodness, I, you know, I, I think in a much more flexible way about sexuality now. But who are gay men? What do we, how do we find the gay man? What would be our stereotypical archetypal gay man? Because um, I don't really feel like a gay man. Um, although I've predominantly had sex with men, I don't. I, I wouldn't see myself as feeling comfortable with that because it tends to me now a particular kind of lifestyle. Right. You know, I think you probably maybe if we try to if I try to define the typical gay man, it would be somebody who puts puts a lot of time and energy into making their body pumped up and muscular. So they spend, they have a gym membership. Mm-hmm. They maybe go on holiday to certain. European destinations or certain American destinations to party and, and, and holiday with other gay men, you know, on islands like Mykonos or Ibiza mm-hmm. or and <clears throat> Miami and San Francisco. But, but does that really make you a gay man or is that, but there are larger populations of, of gay men in those places. So what is a gay man? You know, you listen to house music, you take drugs, you party. But what about the gay men who don't feel like doing all of that? Or yeah, who, what about the gay men who mm. who have so, a quieter lifestyle? And what yeah, would be seen many, as a more mainstream people, lifestyle? Yep, many people don't feel comfortable with that kind of a representation for or op choices for themselves. And there is a lot more flexibility and opportunity now to to to, to have a range of lives. I mean, there are gay men who are marrying there are gay men who are having kids with their with their same-sex partners maybe through surrogacy maybe through um through a private arrangement sometimes through adoption um and that option wasn't really there 35 years ago when i began working in this field um surrogacy was was really very very rare kind of experience um it might be that a gay man with a very strong desire to parent perhaps would have got married first and then had a kid within the marriage, or he might have found a lesbian who wanted a sperm donor and they arranged to co-parent. But now it's pretty easy for gay men to uh, find a surrogate and have a biological kid of their own or to adopt. Um, So parenting is very much a viable uh, option for for gay people. I was going to say a lifestyle option. Well, you know, bringing up kids is is for life, but it's not really a kind of lifestyle. As in, I'm going to wear these shoes and go on this holiday. No, but it does have its own stuff that comes with it. It's got its own responsibilities mm-hmm. that comes with it. It's got um, a wider range of activities, but there's still you can categorize it. It's it, it as a lifestyle in that way. Not, not mm-hmm. and maybe as some would seem more frivolous. It still is. It's a completely different way of life. And if you are going to be parents, mm. you don't tend to spend many nights out partying in a row because nope. you can't function as nope. parents. That, that option that. isn't. That's right. That option isn't really available for to do that very often at all. So it, it it that kind of thing will appeal to people who perhaps didn't really like the party lifestyle wanted a life that felt much more akin to what their parents or their, mm-hmm. their other siblings have got. Um, and and what some people might say is a much more heteronormative lifestyle. I mean, that's a pretty 
long technical kind of word, but heteronormativity is, is, is a concept that I'm sure your listeners will be familiar with. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that occurs to me is that, that there might be some criticism of a gay man who chose a more heteronormative lifestyle and made more heteronormative life choices. Mm-hmm. Is that lessened yeah, because I think, there's a wider view now, or is there still considerable criticism around that, do you think? I think <clears throat> I think people are going to criticize other people for choosing their lives, to live their lives the way they want to do, wherever they are and whoever they are. Um, and certainly gay, there are going to be some gay men who feel like they're deserting the, the cause by replicating heterosexuality um, and uh, that they... You know, that's they might see that as as coming from a place of uh, discomfort with their own sexuality, and that they're choosing to, to 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 side with kind of heterosexual privilege. I don't think that's. I think that's an oversimplification of what's going on for sure. I think people are exercising very real choice, and and they, we have a whole palette of of colours that we can paint in this rainbow, um, and how we want to live our lives. And I think that's that's good. Yeah, and I think I think the wider choice is amazing. So, in in the past, we used to talk about how important coming out was for gay men, how important mm. being being seen for who you are. And if you're talking about mm-hmm. kind of different different ways of figuring out who's included where and how you identify, how does that affect the experience of coming out? Well, c- coming out became a, a concept that was much loved by psychologists working with gay men as saying, oh, yeah, it's going to be much better for your mental health if you come out. But that really only applies to um, white Western gay men. Right. It doesn't really, that is not good psychological advice or, you know, there's not much evidence that that's going to work very well for people who might be Muslim yeah. or from, from other faith groups or um, from other, other nationalities. Coming out isn't necessarily a good thing for everybody, and it, it might not even be very good for some white working class guys. Um, it just depends on the, the person and their relationship with their family. And so some people have to find a way of navigating how they're going to live their lives and integrate their sexuality. I think it's important that we recognize we have a sexuality, that we have, we have sexual needs and uh, attractions to certain people or types of sex or whatever and that we can find a way of feeling okay about that without feeling any shame about mm-hmm. about who we are sexually or what we're into but how much you choose to tell everybody else about what you like to do and how you like to do it is really down to the individual and so it's but it is important that you acknowledge it for yourself and maybe for the for, for people who are closest to you and there's a great there's a great uh, Muslim uh, family therapist in Australia called Setna Bennett uh, Beckett, who um, did some work with some Muslim gay men. She she wrote a chapter in, about working with two brothers, and and they've been obviously very close as they brought up. And one of them was gay, and the concept that she used to describe this was inviting in rather than coming out. Mm-hmm. So you invite into your life. Sp- to this very special piece of information about who you are, certain people that you feel um, would benefit from knowing or you want to know about this and might be helpful to you. But you don't have to come out to everybody. 
So, you know, I think in those in that instance, he invited his brother in, but they agreed that they wouldn't be telling the parents at that stage. I quite like that concept, actually. I, li- I like inviting people in and increasing your intimacy. These are the people you want in your intimate world, mm. as opposed to, yeah. although I think there's a place for living out loud, but as opposed to the idea of having to, to broadcast, which, as you say, I mean, sure. particularly for people um, of other religions, but also in other countries, I, I was um, recently speaking with some Africans about this, there are a variety of countries mm-hmm. in Africa where it's just dangerous to be gay and yeah. actually identify that way and to talk about it. So the idea of coming out mm. in that circumstance as a piece of advice would be, in fact, quite damaging. Exactly. Uh, I was in Beijing a couple of months ago um, doing some work with the Beijing LGBT Center. And, and coming out is a big issue there because uh, it people's biggest fear is their parents rejecting or letting their parents down. And they've only recently come through the one child, one family policy. Um, And so they may well be the only child in the family. And the parents have got a lot of investment in expecting that child to give them, uh, to give them, to marry, to give them a child, the legacy, the family tradition, the name will move on. And all of that is hugely culturally significant. So some people get forced into marriages that they don't feel comfortable in and they're a disaster. And then there's rates of domestic violence because they're in a, they feel trapped in a relationship where they don't mm-hmm. love their partner. Um, I'm very frustrated. Or, um, or they get into sham marriages with lesbians and, or they ride the, the pressure of their parents and, and their parents' disapproval of them. And it's really very tough. It doesn't seem like a positive so, uh, choice there. It's, it's a really, really hard situation. It's a really hard situation. So it was, uh, you know, my main mind was being exercised quite a lot, and my heart, at trying to think this, this one through. Um, because I think it's important to do a lot of work with the parents uh, and raising public awareness that it's actually perfectly okay to have a gay child and it's not a reflection on you. And you might still have kids with that child, you know, that your, your son might still give you children. Uh, he might be doing that in the context of a relationship with another man. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, role, role models in China, television has clamped down on what what positive representations there can be, and that, that's all been banned at the moment. So it's an interesting situation there. Wow. But we maybe digress a little bit. But but that's okay. I mean, I think that I think it's important to kind of challenge that very standard concept that it's very important to come out no matter who you are, um, mm. and really. Yeah, and kind of highlight the fact that what it, what's important is to to not have shame about who you are, to have an understanding of your sure. and desires. So I like the idea yeah. of inviting in as an alternative. Um, what, I think so. Yeah. What do you think the biggest challenges are to being a gay man in the modern world? I guess it depends on where you where you're living and how old you are as to what those challenges might be. I think I think. We're losing a lot of the social spaces that used to exist for for gay men, like the the pub and the club and things like this. That a lot of these things have been closing down partly because of the smoking ban. Businesses were going out of action because of because of that. Um, partly because it's not seen as economic to have these spaces. Some people aren't socialising and wanting to go into those kind of places and wanting to mix 
more in more mixed places. Uh, and then the internet is making a big difference. And so you don't necessarily need to go up, leave your home in order to go out and meet people. You can do it all online now and through apps like Grindr um, and, and, other, and other ways of meeting people just through uh, online dating. And I think that one of the biggest challenges is how to find somebody that you can form a relationship with, mm -hmm. how to develop intimate relationship skills, um, particularly if you don't really know many other gay people and you don't see long-term gay couples and see how how they negotiate their boundaries and things. Mm -hmm. If you're in this fairly isolated world, that my privileged sex and body image over other things, then it can be quite difficult if you don't have the right body image or you don't feel sexually confident. Um, or, you know, and, and sex on a first date with an anonymous stranger that you've met through an app is unlikely to be that successful unless you're lucky. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's going to work out well and sometimes it's going to be pretty mediocre. And therefore, if it's mediocre, you're probably not going to want to see that person again, even if they were a nice person, because you just felt like, oh, I better move on and find somewhere else. And so it kind of reinforces a very casual a nature of just having sex. I mean, and so deeper skills of intimacy and relationships get, get sidelined, and that can be a challenge, I think. I mean, that's interesting to me because, you know, sex on a first date is a, is a thing in itself. I wouldn't, you know, it's really sex, not a sex on a date in my, in my way of seeing things. And then there is the mm -hmm. attempt to find the right partner for a relationship. And rarely do those two mesh. So if the social spaces are going, then that does make it, I can see where that makes it harder to actually develop those relationship skills. That mm. you developed yeah. that from looking at the models that you see in part. So what kind yeah. of, I mean, what kind of, advice would you give somebody who is out there having no idea where to start looking and how well, to develop those skills? I, I, if someone wants, if someone comes to see me as a, as a client and wants a boyfriend, they re, they're really keen on having a relationship. Mm -hmm. Then my, one of my pieces of advice is don't have, go out on dates, don't have sex with someone for your first three meetings. So you might, you might kiss on the first date, if you want to, it's good to check out whether they're a good kisser or not. But resist the push and the pressure and the temptation to have sex until you've actually gone out on a few different dates and, and go to different places. You know, go for dinner, go to a movie, go, to, go and do some activity that seems meaningful. So you have time to talk to each other and get to know each other. And I mean, having sex, learn each other's names. Uh, and then you can decide whether you want to have sex with each other. And then if you do, if it's not quite what you want, it's not going quite the way you want it to go. You've probably got enough of a relationship going where you can say, can you not use your teeth like that, please? Or could you do this a little bit? This would feel better if you did this a little bit more because you feel able to negotiate what you're looking for because you've kind of got to like the person. And it will mean you'll have less sex, but you'll probably have less disappointments. Mm -hmm. um, and so you'll, you may well decide that by the third day actually i don't really get like this person enough to want to have sex with them that's okay you might have made a friend um and it's important to build social support in order to kind of feel comfortable with who we are 
But I think pushing sex a little bit further back in the agenda, if you want a relationship, if you just want to get laid, Fair enough. You know, put the sex up front, that's fine. There's no, no, no judgment about that. Mm-hmm. But if you really want a relationship, then put some energy into the relationship part. And what's interesting to me is that you said that at that point, after a few dates, you might, and even if the sex doesn't go exactly how you like, you feel like you have enough of a relationship with the person to do some negotiating and talking about sex. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm interested in you saying that because so many of the people that I'm seeing don't have that skill. Sure. And so yeah, well, lots don't of people even... don't know what it is they like sexually. Either. Indeed. Yeah. I, I, they don't know I, their own bodies well enough. Yep. And so we're actually, in some cases, I'm, I'm saying, okay, we need to start at the beginning, figure out where are you and who are you before you learn how to talk to somebody else about this. So the hope mm-hmm. is that after, at, at that point, the person would be able to stand up and say what it is that they like, assuming that they know, and negotiate mm-hmm. exactly what it is they like. But I do think, I do think that's one of the big gaps in, in education at the moment, is how to talk about these things. Yeah. For sure, for sure, and 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 there's a our sex education is appalling, and I don't know any country that does it well. There probably are countries I just don't know of how they do it well enough. Um, But we need to encourage people to learn more about their own bodies and what works for them, what kind of pleasures they're into. Remove a lot of the shaming that goes on Mm -hmm. that people feel about sex and sexuality. People learn about sex, by and large, in this country through access to porn. And then if they're using that, then they're very often labeled a porn addict because they're using porn to find out about sex and they're curious to learn more. Um, And I don't think that that's, that's, that's helpful at all. I think... We shouldn't be trying to shame people for being sexually curious. I mean, I, I agree. And I, I think we, shame should not be part of this. But unfortunately, really? it appears that shame is, is everywhere in our sexuality. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated mm-hmm. by how difficult people find it to actually access information. I think you're an optimist if you think that there's a country where they're doing it right. I would love to, be, to have listeners yeah. Prove me wrong and tell me there's somewhere where, where actually sex education is done in a way that's comprehensive, that's inviting and and non-shaming. I haven't seen mm. it yet. Particularly around diverse sexual practices and lifestyles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it might be done well as in boy meets girl, forms a relationship. Yeah. You know, they, they love each other. But if you're interested in other kinds of sex or sexual practices, then that's probably not going to be taught in schools as being okay. No. I, and I so have, people do carry a lot of sexual shame. They do. I have a 14-and-a-half-year-old son who is right now going through the process. He's in an alternative school, and he's going through their sex and relationships section. Mm-hmm. And they have started with consent, which is new this year. Good. With That's the cup great. of tea. With the cup of tea. I was thrilled to be. Oh, okay. That is yeah. brand new. And I've seen the plan, and they are actually talking about different sexualities. They're going to struggle because I, I know who's, I can see that they're struggling with it. So I think there might be some hope. But I think it's yeah. so much more complex than what they get in these, you know, they get five lessons. Um, 
10 lessons or something like that. Um, I'm thrilled that that's there, but I also think we need a place to actually teach people how to explore, which we don't do and teach them that it's okay to explore. And in fact, it's Mm -hmm. necessary to explore if you're going to know who you are. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the other challenges facing gay men, particularly in the bigger cities like London at the moment is um, negotiating this, this, um, trend that um, some gay men are doing, which is around taking, um, in, getting involved in chemsex. Mm-hmm. So chemsex is the sexualized use of three or four quite specific drugs. So it's people meeting in order to have sex in, and in order to ta- have that sex, they're going to, they're agreeing to take um, some of these drugs. So it would be things like crystal methamphetamine or Tina, as some people will know it, uh, mephedrone, which was, used as a plant fertilizer and is a kind of cheaper form of MDMA. Um, GHB, which is a liquid that is very, very dose dependent. Um, or um, And sometimes it's ketamine would be included in that. So people will meet at each other's homes, facilitated by meeting each other at first online on the internet, and then take these drugs, which will keep them high and horny for maybe a whole weekend, um, with a lot of energy and just be having lots of sex. Uh, well, that's the, that's the theory anyway. Um, and lots of, there are lots of harms, potential harms that can come from that. And uh, when you're trying to meet someone and date or go out onto the scene or go online, there's a lot of people who are wanting to have get high and horny or party, as it might be called. And some of those drugs uh, are taken are being taken intravenously, so people are injecting them into themselves, and that creates problems around you know other um, diseases like hepatitis C. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it's it's not a it's it's causing a very high amount of HIV infections, um, which aren't going down amongst gay men, despite all the education and and awareness that we've got. You know, thirty five, forty years into the epidemic, um, it's that's still being an issue because people are so sexually disinhibited. And once you've had that kind of sex, when you're really, really high, your brain has kind of got used to really high levels of dopamine. Um, and it's very hard to have sex sober for many people. Right. Um, unless they get high again. So, so then they're just doing this on a regular basis because it feels amazing. Why wouldn't you? And they just keep doing that. And then they find it difficult to stop. Or to have sex sober. So, and I've certainly got a number of people seeing me who are like that. So then that, that creates a whole host of problems and a whole host of dangers. Um, mm. Not the least of which is is that you're not engaging in safe sex while you're doing that, I presume. Sure, sure. Although some gay men are putting themselves onto PrEP. They're buying um, okay. an, an HIV medication online and, and taking PrEP, which is a, 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 a smart move. Yep. Um, but there are other STIs, you know, we've sure. got gonorrhea, penicillin-resistant gonorrhea uh, rearing its head for us, um, and, and the, you know, chlamydia is rife and, and things. So it's not great, but then sexually transmitted diseases are an occupational hazard for anybody yes. who is having sex. Really. Yes, most definitely. Whoever they are having sex. Most definitely. So, okay, that sounds like quite a challenge in terms of negotiating that scene, deciding where you want to be and trying to create a relationship, an actual lasting yeah, and it's, relationship. It, it, it's a huge challenge. And especially, I think, for younger people who, younger gay men who might not have learned very much at school, 
go online, start to meet people, get invited around to have sex with somebody else who they think is super hot and confident and say, hey, do you want to try this? And a lot of kids like trying drugs. You know, yeah. drugs have, we've all been trying drugs for many years, yeah. but the drugs that we've been trying were generally not as strong or as severe in terms of their health consequences as these ones. And so they may well try them and, and like that and think this is amazing and they'll great, probably have great sexual confidence. They won't, they'll, won't be worried about their body image. Right. They'll just feel invincible. And, and so they're in a really fantastic space, they feel. But without, but then also putting themselves at all, all sorts of risks, as we said, like HIV. They may not be given any protection. They may not feel that like they need any. Right, because um, they're invincible. And certainly, because they're invincible and they can take the risks. And this person seems lovely, and they don't look like they're HIV positive. Yeah, because we still yeah. we still have that stigma to get past too. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So. Moving from challenges to joys, what do you think are the greatest joys of being a gay man in the modern world? I think for me, living in Britain, one of the greatest joys is uh, being able to write my own script for my own life. Mm -hmm. That, that the, the heteronormative ideal wasn't really a viable option for me. I didn't feel, I didn't want that. Um, so I have to create my own rules for how I'm going to live my life. I have to craft my own ethic, my own morality mm -hmm. for what is a good way of behaving with people, for what kind of relationships I want to have, from what kind of models of relationship I want, whether I want to be polyamorous or monogamous. Or, mm -hmm. I get to choose and write my own script. Um, and I think that, so I think generally speaking, I think that's, that gives me a lot of, a lot of choice. It's, I think, on a simple pleasure, I think one of the greatest joys, and I didn't expect to see this when I started out being a gay man 35, 40 years ago, is being able to hold hands in public with my partner, mm -hmm. which is something most heterosexuals would just take for granted yep. and was never really an option for me. And now I walk around London and I see people doing this, particularly young guys doing it. I think you're living in such a lovely world that you can do this now. It's great. It fills fills my heart with joy that I can see that happening. Mm -hmm. It's great. That's a wonderful, simple mm -hmm. pleasure. Yeah, just really simple. But it wasn't. It's 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 removed from. It's been removed from many of us. And it, abroad, it's it's still a you know can be still be a huge danger. And I think it's interesting. It can be a danger. Uh, yeah, but yeah. less of one now. I, I do think it's interesting it's that people don't think about about that. Um, that I think people who who are heterosexual don't really understand sometimes negative reactions to public displays of affection mm -hmm. come from a place of you don't realize that you're allowed to do that, and I'm not yeah. allowed to express myself, and so that shift sure. make it kind of just a little bit easier a little bit more yeah. comfortable and, and, and just the idea that for me, that more possibilities are out there in public for everyone to see. So we have a greater yeah. picture of actually what people look like and, and, and how people relate and how people love. Yeah, for sure. Is there, um, a way for people to get in touch with you if they would like your help? It's easy. Uh, sh sure. Um, 
I run a I run an organization called Pink Therapy, and so our website is pinktherapy.com. Um, and my, my profiles on there, as are the profiles of many therapists who work with people who are gay or LGBT or kinky or any other gender, sexual relationship diversity. And, um, and these are non-judgmental therapists all over the UK. So log on and find somebody that is near to you and would want to work with you. And is there something that Pink Therapy is doing right now that you'd like people to know about, you'd like to make more widely known? Well, one of the things that I'm really proud of that we've started we start, is that we've started to deliver a two-year postgraduate diploma for therapists to train with, uh, in, in working with these diverse populations. Because as you all know from, from therapy training, there's very little talk about sex, yeah. let alone sexual difference or relationships or gender. And so therapists spend four or five years training and they might have got one or two days on, on sexuality, unless you do a specific sex and relationship therapy course. So we're doing something quite significant there, and we've got people from all over the world studying with us online, and it's a really, it's a really good course. So if you've got therapists who are listeners, then that would be something to check out. Yeah, I can highly recommend the training, and, and the course looks fantastic. So thank, thank you. you for joining me. And thanks for joining us this week for the A to Z of Sex. Write in with your questions to Dr. Lori Beth at A to Z of Sex.com. For the Americans, that's A T O Z O F S E X.com. And visit both websites, www.a to Z of Sex.com and www.theintimacycoach.com. That's the dash intimacy dash coach.com to learn about alternate sexual choices, different types of relationships, and hopefully how to create the ideal lasting intimate relationship that you're looking for. For a free 30-minute session with me, head over to the a to z of sex.com and click on the button that says book now. I hope to see you all next week when we will be looking at the letter H. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes and make sure you head over to www.atozofsex.com. That's A-T-O-Z-O-F-S-E-X. To subscribe to my free newsletter to help you keep your sex life sizzling. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes as we work our way through the sexual alphabet to discover the wide world of sex, sexuality, desire, and intimacy. Knowledge gives you the power to create relationships that bring you satisfaction and joy. Hope to see you next week.